0: And I've also got a subtitle, Why Not Join a Monastery? (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? Not so much a monastery, but I mean, you you thought, I'd like to get off this world. I, I would like to have a break from all of the problems and the strife and the pressures and the stress that I'm suffering. I just would like, well, to stop. You might have felt like that along the way. When we look at the world, there's various ways that we can interpret it. What a world we live in now. I'm not thinking of mental health here when I say it's a mad world... I'm thinking rather of what we see around our world in which we live. The bizarre fashions, the silly stuff on social media, the foolish risk-taking by some, the extreme sports that some practice, and the ridiculous antics by some in the public. It's a mad world. Or, of course, it is also a bad world. A bad, bad world. We're confronted every day with news of crime, of violence, of murder, of injustice, discrimination, corruption. It's the world we live in. We're followers of Jesus. We're called to be Christians in this world of ours. How are we to live out our Christian faith in the world? And how is the world to view us? Jesus has some very serious words to say to his disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me. You do not belong to the world, sorry, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, that is why the world hates you. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now why would Jesus be hated? Why does he say, the world hates me? I believe it's what we see in the word of God as his outrageous claims. He is saying he is the son of God, that God is his father, that he is the The truth, the only truth, he claims to be the absolute truth. He's the Messiah, the one who fulfills the Old Testament scriptures. He challenged and rebuked the religious leaders. He even called them hypocrites. They were hard-hearted, he said. Their legalism was their legalism was stifling the true faith of the people. Their traditions cancelled out the word of God. And so the hierarchy of society, the religious leaders, saw Jesus as a threat. His teachings, his very person, was a threat to the religious structures of the time, even the social structures of the time, in what he was saying and doing and teaching. So Jesus says, the world hated me. Well, when we look at this world, we first of all acknowledge that we're part of this world. We're, we belong to the world in the sense of we live in this created world, this is the world that is stated right at the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that's one way of looking at our world. But also, it's the world of Everybody in this world, all of the races and all of the nations in the world, but we have this wonderful, wonderful verse in the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world. This world, no matter who the people are, God's love reaches out to them through Jesus Christ. But we're also looking at this world, which has a world view of people who disbelieve in God. It's a way of thinking, an outlook of life, where God is discarded, He's ignored, He's rejected by a majority. This is the world where it's a system of beliefs, of morals, of philosophy, of values and standards that is determined that determines an outlook to life, in which God is denied. And any thought of accountability to God, the Judge, is rejected and foolish. So this is the world where we are con- in which we are contending. And Jesus says, "You're going to have trouble in this world." Christians believe that, uh, well, the world is dominated by Satan. He dominates the sinful generation, the sinful hum- humanity in which we share. Well, what can we gain? What does Jesus teach us here? In what he is saying to his disciples, and it would have reference to us as well, he is saying we're going to be tested by the world. We're going to be de- tested because of the opposition of the world to those who are following Jesus. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So he's warning the disciples, you expect opposition, even hostility, because you're following me. Now, why is this conflict? Why is this conflict with this world? You've probably noticed uh, we're in the football season, aren't we? The football finals. lot of excitement generated by the finals. And do you see how people who want to show, well, others, to whom they belong, who they identify with, how do they do it? Well, of course, one of the chief ways is to have that kind of colours, the colours of your team, and even the jersey, the scarf, the beanie of the colours. We see them for those who are very, very keen fans of these football, fan, of these <laughs> football codes. Well, believers belong to the Jesus team. I was thinking about this just last night. We identify with Jesus. We belong to Jesus Christ. He says, you and I have been chosen. We've been summoned to him, to believe in him, to know him, to follow him. And so, what are our team colours? This is what I thought. Here we are showing our colours and our identification because we belong to the team of Jesus. Jesus gives us a different outlook to life. He gives us different attitudes within our heart. He gives us different guidelines of behaviour. He gives us different values and beliefs and moral standards than the world. We're living in contrast to the world. We've got a different lifestyle. And that, of course, is a threat to some. They say, you are not like us. You do not fit in. You are different. Do you recall the story of Daniel? Daniel was favoured by the emperor and given a very high position within the empire. And there were those who were very jealous of him. And they also were jealous of his power, his position, his status. He was a man of integrity and goodness and honesty and faith. He practised his faith openly and boldly, and that's why he was caught praying to his God rather than to the emperor, and he lands in the lion's den. He's an example of a man of integrity and faith. Here's Paul. He's writing to a young pastor called Timothy, And this is what he said to Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm just wondering if you look at your life and your past life as you grew up, whether or not you would say, well, I've been persecuted. Now, I can't say that I have. I worked in an office in the public service, in the housing commission for about six years before I went to Bible college. I can't say I was persecuted. I think we belong, a lot of us here belong to a generation where we grew up in Sunday school. It was the norm for people going to church. And there was a respect. But I I believe these, these times have changed. Our grandchildren will suffer a greater conflict than we ever knew. So yes, Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to be persecuted. And probably not in our generation as such, but in our world, there are those who are suffering. I receive some email messages from an organisation called the Barnabas Fund. And the Barnabas Fund supports and helps and gives aid to Christians around the world who are persecuted. They have a very hard time being followers of Jesus. Here's a couple, they they live in Pakistan. This married couple who have four children have endured six years in prison on death row. After being convicted in April twenty fourteen, sending blasphemous texts messages to two Muslims. Shef Kwak, who is disabled, and his wife Shaghafra, say that they are illiterate illiterate and incapable of sending such messages. It's one of the favourite ways of attacking a Christian in Pakistan is to accuse them of blasphemy. You get in prison for that. In fact, you come under the death sentence for blasphemy. Here's just here, just some headlines I received. This came through in October this, year, this month. Six Nigerian Christians killed in fresh Fulani militant attacks on this particular village. They were slaughtered because they were Christians. Thousands, oh no, I'll just read another one about China. The Chinese Communist Party is stepping up attempts to prevent information about religious persecution in China from reaching overseas media by threatening pastors with long prison sentences and punishments that could also affect their family. So there are those followers of Jesus who are being persecuted, who suffer violence. Sometimes their houses can be burnt or their daughters are kidnapped and forced into a Islamic marriage. This is happening in our world. We need to pray for the persecuted church. Something else that Jesus would want us to learn from what he is saying that has relevance for us, and that is the temptation to compromise. If you belong to the world, the world would love you. Compromise is a powerful word. It means making concessions to your convictions. Or it's saying, deciding on lowering our standards. We want people to like us, don't we? We don't want to be different so that we stand out from others and they look at us. Why aren't you fitting in to society? No, of course not. But there's a temptation for us. To lower our standards, to compromise our faith, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. This is from uh, Philippians that I'm sorry, no it's from an early translation, modern translation by a man called Philip. And uh, this particular verse captures that kind of pressure Christians can have because they're Christians because they follow Jesus Christ. Now I belong to a generation i 'm sure you can remember Saturday matinee, and one of our favorite films, of course was to do with with Tarzan and of course, Tarzan would fight quite quite often in the film, a python. What is the python doing to Tarzan? The python seeks to choke Tarzan, to crush him and to immobilise him. And I think that's what the world can do to us when we compromise. They are seeking to crush us and to choke us, and to immobilise our witness, our stand for Jesus Christ. Jesus reminds us in his parable to the talents, a parable of the seed, still others, the, the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things come in and Choke the word, making it unfruitful. And, of course, in the New King James, it says the cares of this world, the cares of this world, that's what choke us, and we're unfruitful. Another thing that I believe Jesus is taking out of this, what we can learn of this scripture that he's saying to us in Gospel of John, the tragedy of becoming a casualty. He's saying, All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. He's talking to us. He's talking to his disciples of each generation. Not give up your faith, it says in the Good News Bible. Should not be made to stumble to keep you from falling away, the other translation is saying. It's a danger to us, it's a tragedy. There's pressure on us. The world does offer us attractions of sinful nature to our sinful nature. There's pleasures, there's fun, there's carelessness, there's activities which are exciting and enticing and daring. There's seductions of the sensual. I mean... Young teenage boys, all they have to do is get onto a computer and and press a couple of buttons and all of the pornography is there that they wish to see. What what temptations, what enticements, not only to young men but older men too. We're living in this age where we are seduced by what we see on a screen. This is Paul's sad report. This is Paul... Writing to Timothy about a man called Demas. And he's saying, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted, deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, Paul refers to this man Demas in two other of his letters. And he refers to Demas as companion and a fellow worker. But in probably the last letter that Paul wrote was this one to Timothy. And he's saying, Demas has loved this world. He's a tragedy, he's one who's stepped out, who's gone astray. It's a very, very sad verse. And a commentary on this man that was so keen and following Jesus and helping Paul. Paul says there's a struggle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Yes. This is the world we live in. There's temptations, there's conflicts for us to step back, to fit in. And lastly, fourthly, when we look at what Jesus is saying to his disciples, there is a commission, a commission to each generation of believers. This is what he says. He says, you must testify of me. As in in his prayer that we have recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, what does Jesus pray? He says, as you, God, sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. His disciples, I'm sending them into the world. So what is the Christian's role in this bad, bad world, in this mad world in which we live? Well, is it to withdraw from the world? To disengage from this world? We don't mix with non-Christians. We retreat into the community of the church where we're safe and secure Jesus didn't do that, did he? And nor did the apostles, those first Christians, those first century Christians, did not withdraw from the world. They went out into the world with the gospel. We read it in the book of Acts. What about should we wage war against this world in which we live? Be aggressive in telling our testimony. Attack others for their ignorance and unbelief. Be forceful in our conversation. And last night, I was just reviewing this, and I thought of a term I had not heard of. Well, I had not. It hadn't come to mind. Do you remember when you were accused of being a Bible basher? I have not thought of that word or that term for such a long time, but the connotation of it, the image that you have in it, you have the well, the poor, unsuspecting non-Christian. You dummy, you should believe. A Bible basher. Of course, mind you, I do believe that that does not have... Well, it's not true of the king Christian. He may be in the office or the workforce and he may be quoting something of the scripture but he can do it in a respectful way, of course. He just gets that term, a Bible basher, because he knows his Bible so well and he's ready to tell somebody about verses in the Bible. Okay, or instead of that, what about being a witness in the world? When the counsellor comes, this is the good news of Jesus Christ to his disciples when he's saying, you testify to me, you give me a witness, you tell them what you know about me, what I have done in your life and he's saying, I'm going to help you. Each one of us can be helped by this counsellor, this advocate, this Holy Spirit. When the counsellor come, whom I will send to you, to you from the Father, you also must testify about me. With the help of the Holy Spirit, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, with the teaching of the Holy Spirit, we can improve in our testimony. We can develop our witness To be witnesses of Jesus Christ is a calling. Jesus said, you're going to be like lights in a dark world. He said, disciples, you're going to be salt in the society. You're going to be a special flavour in the community in which you live. Paul said, We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are representatives of him. We are servants of God. That's our privilege. That's our calling. That's our honour to be called a servant of God. In the world, but not of the world, we can expect to be tested. There will always be that temptation to compromise, to be quiet, to fit in, to say nothing, to be one of the crowd. Oops. And then, of course, there's this tragedy of becoming a casualty, of going astray, and Jesus talks about this commission This timeless commission, this commission to each generation of his disciples. So, if the world hates you, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. What's this lesson that we can take away? Awareness of the reality of what Jesus is saying to us. Awareness of this reality of the world in which we live. We are passing through this world. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. We're passing through, but we are to be faithful disciples as we pass through. Being aware. Keep in mind, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Give attention to God's word. Give attention to God's word. Jesus says, remember the words I've spoken to you. These are lessons of life. These are my words for you to know and to understand and to give meaning to in your life. Give attention to your word. I encourage you to look at the word each day to read the word, to see what God's word is saying to you, to strengthen you in your faith, to give you guidance each day of your life by God's word. Assistance of the Holy Spirit. When the counsellor comes, let's have that confidence in the Holy Spirit indwelling you and me each day. He is to help us. He can help us. He sustains us. He strengthens us. And, of course, there's an assurance of Christ's victory. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I have told you these these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Our victory is in Jesus Christ. There's our assignment for disciples to testify. In the world, we're going to be tested by conflict. There's temptation. There's a tragedy when people do turn their back on Jesus. But there's a timeless commission to witness for him. The Lord bless us, keep us, sustain us and inspire us. Amen.